0: Remove the guesswork and save time by planning feeder maintenance before you drive to your hunting property. For more information, visit MoultrieMobile.com.
1: Thanks again for tuning in to another episode of the Pennsylvania Woodsman podcast. We really appreciate it. And guys, if you haven't already do us a favor and go onto your social media platforms, go onto Instagram, go onto Facebook and check us out at Pennsylvania woodsman podcast and hit the like, hit the, hit the follow. And if you haven't done so already, uh, do us a favor wherever you're listening to this podcast—Spotify, um, iTunes, anywhere you get it—do a like and review. Give us five stars if we're doing good. If we're not doing good, just just don't even bother. I mean, I mean that that that's fine. If if just send me a message and tell me I'm not doing good. That that's that's about as much as I can I can ask for. But if we're if we're doing a good job, we're meeting your standards. Please, by all means, it really helps us out more than you even know. And uh, it, it's greatly appreciated. And lastly, if you guys have things that you'd like to um, like to hear about, like topics of, of interest, if you've got something you'd like to share with us, by all means, message us, reach out to us. We want this to be a, a well-rounded show for all things Pennsylvania outdoors. And we're trying our best to keep it diverse. And, you know, we we had uh, we got, we went basically a year without doing anything in the realm of Pennsylvania elk hunting. And on this week's episode, we have our second Pennsylvania elk hunting episode. And if you enjoyed the one that we had a few weeks ago back with Jacob Coons, Jacob Coons, if you didn't get to tune into that one, was a non-resident elk hunter who drew a late season bull tag and was successful. And he kind of talked a little bit about his experience and some of the stuff going on with, with elk hunting, but with this episode this week, we talked with Brian Hale of Elk County Outfitters, and he is the one, I think he's the lead guide at Elk County Outfitters, and he was basically laying it all out there. I mean, if you ever had interest in Pennsylvania elk hunting, this is information on this week's show that you probably don't want to miss. Brian Uh, started out we, we go through you know a little bit about Brian how we got introduced into guiding Pennsylvania elk hunting he talks a little bit about his experience when he drew a cow tag back in 2015 and was successful and get the ball rolling from there talk a little bit about their operation and then we get into something that's really cool and interesting and that's talking about the zones of elk hunting you know when you go to apply for your elk permit now there's uh there's options to put in a bunch of different zones and most people don't have any clue what about the zones and, and the thing you got to keep in mind is if you're putting in for a pennsylvania elk tag for years and years and years and you're just going with that any zone type type uh, application you've got the potential of drawing a lesser zone and, and if that's okay with you you know no harm no foul but you might get realize that it wasn't exactly what you were hoping for what you pictured so just keep that in mind but it's a fantastic conversation we talk a lot about just elk in general in Pennsylvania it gets into some really cool stories and it's a it's a fun thing, and I think this is a, a great timing for this episode because as this episode airs on June, uh, Friday, June 10th is, I believe, when this will air, yep, Friday, June 10th, we have Pennsylvania license sales going out on June 13th. That's Monday, guys. So, you know, it's, it's not something urgent in the sense of getting your your elk tag sent, but it's something to keep in mind and think about. You know, as we're getting ready to apply for licenses, the only thing that I do, I try to get my license right away. I do buy some D map tags in a couple of different zones that they usually go out pretty quick. So, if that's something that you inter- are interested in doing, you know, maybe you want to get your license sooner rather than later. But, um, you know, keep this episode in mind. If you're thinking about putting in for your elk tag, you know, listen closely. And uh, pick up on some of the stuff that Brian talks about with Robbie and I, and I I think it'll it'll probably open your eyes, but it's it's definitely going to be some entertainment as well. So before we get started with this week's episode, real quick, just want to do some housekeeping. Little Mountain Outfitters, Richland, Pennsylvania, guys. If you haven't visited their shop, uh, I really suggest you do it. We've got a, a bow shop that has all the brand name bows that you can imagine awesome bow technicians and a shop that has the gear that you need to get ready for this fall and i'm not just talking about your archery gear from your arrows and your releases and and quivers and rests and tuning so to speak because they have all that but in addition to that they've got everything for a hunter needs they've got food plot seed which i just got done planting some food plots and i rented a drill and tractor from them and They've also got anything in the realm of saddle hunting. If you guys are into saddle or you want to learn about saddle hunting, you've never tried a saddle, you want to fit one on, see what it's like, talk to Devon. They're a dealer. They've got a lot of different options you can tweak, and Devon's got a lot of experience with them, and he's somebody who can help you firsthand. And I think that's one of the things that sets this bow shop apart is they've got uh, a great crew of guys they've got great hours that fit your schedule it's a bow shop that I think you would definitely want to check out so be sure hit hit them up Little Mountain Outfitters Richland Pennsylvania check them out on Facebook or check their website out all right let's get to the show joining us today I have Brian Hale from Elk County Outfitters Brian thank you for joining us today hey no
2: problem guys thanks for having me
1: so what is happening this time of year in elk county outfitter country
2: uh so this time of year we're kind of winding down shed season um we're starting to get green uh, we're we're behind a lot of the southern part of the state we're, we're not super green yet but sheds are sheds are starting to drift off the mine we're all kind of switching the turkey mode uh some of the guys have been trout fishing um so that's kind of where we're at we're we don't we don't have a whole lot going on with the elk stuff right now just because you know most of all the bulls have shed uh it's going to be quite a while it's going to be months probably into well into the middle of July till till velvet is up of any significance to where we know you know what kind of bulls we're looking at so we, we take a little bit of a break in the meantime and uh kind of do what almost everybody else all the other Pennsylvania outdoorsmen do we go turkey hunting and fishing and yard work and all the all that other kind of stuff honeydew it's a good time of year to get caught up on your honeydew list
1: you got that right because we all got to earn brownie points for fall yes sir yes sir <laughs> tell me I'm, I'm intrigued tell me a little bit about shed hunting for elk because I've, I've listened to a couple of podcasts this winter on whitetail shed hunting and i feel like nobody's talking about elk just because it's a minority there but do you guys do a lot of it Um. Yeah. So I guess uh, I'll I'll make the kind of the joke, but um, you know,
2: uh, shed hunting has shed hunting in general, not just elk, um, whitetail shed hunting, um, all that has has become exponentially popular over the last, I would say, eight to ten years. Partly in due to social media, and then of course with you know just coming off of all the COVID stuff, all the shutdowns. Um, a lot of people over the last couple of years had way more free time than they ever had before. Right. And a lot of people chose to spend that time out in the woods, out in the fields, you know, looking for shed antlers, be it elk or deer or whatever. Um, so it is, it is very, very popular up here in the elk range. It is, um, it's, uh, it's become quite, it's become a challenge, I should say. I mean, and, and that's not implying that it was ever easy. But um, there's just so many people out. Public land on a Saturday in March, there's people parked at every gate when you go driving out to places. Wow. Um, there's guys, wow. you know, guys and gals walking everywhere. It, it really is. It, it really is. I mean, and in and, and the essence of, um, you know, of the outdoor industry in general, that's a good thing. You know, more people outdoors means they're going to be buying more gear. They're going to be traveling to these areas. Um, they're patronizing local businesses, you know, that sort of thing. Um, but, you know, for, for the guys that have been doing it for a long time and, uh, have had a lot of success, you know, of course, we always kind of get a little grumpy, I guess, when you pull into the spot you wanted to go and, and there's a vehicle already there, you know, and, uh, but, you know, that, that's just the way it is. You just, uh, there's lots of public ground up here. Um, you just, uh, put her back in park and drive out to the next spot and go, you know, go check that. (laughs)
1: <laughs> I'm kind of intrigued. This is this is kind of wasn't exactly how I was thinking I was going to start with you, but it, you got me thinking. So, shed hunting for um for elk sheds. Um you you're, you're uh-huh. going all across your, your range of places you can go, probably private and public land. Do you find that shed hunting, that you are putting pieces of the puzzle together for specific bulls for next year when you shed hunt? Or do you kind of find that it's mostly a shift in weather, a shift in range and time of year, and it maybe isn't as much information as you really need from the months of September through, you know, December? Well,
2: a a little bit of both, really. So, um, you know, actually... closing the piece of the puzzle really comes into play when you find that shed and it's in your hands. And is this bull really as big as what we thought he was and what we had field judged him and what we were going off of, you know, talking to prospective clients or potential clients. And once you get that shed in your hand, you can confirm or denounce, you know, what, what your, um, what your original guesstimate was. And, not only for that one animal, but then that also helps you in future field judging. You know, all right. I remember, I remember seeing this bull, and the first thing I thought was, "Holy crap, his beans are so long." Now I got his shed here in my hands, and they're just average. So why did it look so long? Well, maybe his points weren't quite as long as mm-hmm. what you thought they were. So you know, there, there's there's um, there's there's a lot to go into that, and and I also take time in the woods shed hunting to to learn the terrain. So, um, you know, it's not necessarily where the animals are using it right now, but if I find myself back in there again hunting for whatever reason, I know I've already spent hours in here and I know where this drainage goes. And if I pop out the top, I know how it falls into the next side or there's the back side of this, uh, clear cut, you know, something like that. I I use it, I use it as much for learning the ground. As it is, you know, for um, you know, for actually picking up sheds.
0: Do you uh, c- can you tell from the shed hunting uh, from with the elk? Can you tell whether or not the population is increasing or decreasing up there, or is it mainly for uh, aesthetic standpoint with the elk?
2: Yeah, I mean, I so I, I I don't base any population type stuff off of shed finds. I mean, that would just go off of. Actual sightings, you know, throughout the year during scouting and hunting and whatever. And um, actually, the game commission does a pretty in-depth and fairly accurate um, aerial survey. For the last couple of years, they've they've done uh, surveys where they come up with, uh, you know, they do a minimum count where they actually physically count every animal that is seen with the FLIR, uh, the forward-looking infrared radar off of the plane, and then they have uh, they have a mathematical calculation that they can use. Um, based off of the collared animals that also show up in their floor accounts. Um, and then they, they use the difference of those two to be, two, uh, um, data points to be able to pretty, pretty accurately, um, you know, uh, state what the, what the, what the population is.
1: Okay. So really,
2: so really, you know, shed collection. I don't base shed collection on any type of herd dynamics or anything like that. Um, yeah, and I guess you just don't cause know. the animals, yeah. the animals move. Yeah. I mean, the animals move quite a bit. Um, you know, they get bumped a couple times from shed hunters and boop, they're gone. They're out of the valley. They're over the next ridge. You know, yeah. they might go on to private ground, you know, where there's no permission. Okay. So it's, uh, it's kind of just, it's a fun time. Um, you know, like I said, really a lot of it is confirming what your thoughts are. You know, okay. actually having that bull, that shed in your hand and saying, yep, I was right. This point is as long as I thought it was. And this mass is what we thought it was. Um, you know,
1: that that sort of thing. Gotcha. Well, Brian, if you don't mind, I, I'd kind of like to get into just tell me about Elk County Outfitters. Tell me about uh, yourself. Tell me about the, the process on a, on a, on a basis here, you know, when did, uh, when did your, you know, business, when did this business come to fruition and, you know, the, the whole process into, you know, what, what you're doing on a year to year basis kind of deal. <clears throat>
2: yeah, definitely. Definitely. So I am, unfortunately, uh, the second, I guess you call it the second owner of Elk County Outfitters. So, um, in 2002, my good buddy, Jack Manick Jr. started Elk County Outfitters. Um, Jack, unfortunately, passed away unexpectedly this past summer.
1: Oh, no. And
2: um, just through, um, you know, request of his widow and of his parents, you know, they asked me to kind of step up and uh, asked if I would take it over. So so that's kind of how how I'm in the position I'm in right now. Um, but like I said, Jack started uh, Elk County Outfitters in 2002. Um, Jack was not. Jack was never a resident of the elk range, you know, of North central Pennsylvania here. Um, Jack actually lived down um, in a small town called Mount pleasant down between uh, or down near uh, Greensburg and Blairsville, kind of on the outs an hour or so outside of Pittsburgh, but they had a family camp. Um, they had a family camp in elk County gotcha. that, um, that they, that he had grew up his entire life with his father, um has been hunting uh, in in with well, the area of what's called dense run in Elk County um, for for over 70 years and uh, his dad used to come up on weekends and rent bedrooms and rent hotel rooms and when Jack was old enough he would come up with his dad and eventually I believe it was in the middle 90s they bought a piece of property and in a year or two later built their own hunting cabin um so that was kind of that was the elk county outfitters base camp. Um, and Jack spent a lot of time there. Oh my Lord, Uh, you know, to the chagrin of his wife, he spent a lot of time there Mm. and, um, you know, just all all the outdoor activities. uh, And this was, you know, this was long before there was elk season, just the hunting, the fishing, uh, coming up to the mountains. He always used to say, up the mountains, you know, I can't wait to get up the mountains. So he, he spent a lot of time in the area and just by default of that, And, and where his camp was, was really in the heart of the elk range. And just by being up there so much and having a lot of local friends and connections, he, he became enthralled really by, by the elk herd. And then when the opportunity came up that there was going to be an elk season, he was like, wow, you know, I, I don't, I have bad luck. There's no way I'm ever going to draw a tag, but I would love to be involved with this somehow. How, how do we, how can we do this? Hey. Let's try to help people out to draw a tag, you know, because we're here. We have a camp here. We have a lot of knowledge. Um, the first year of the elk hunt was actually 2001 and, uh, Jack actually missed the, the, um, the license drawing. So he was in a tree, archery hunting back at home. He had missed the, uh, the drawing date. So that first year he didn't have, he didn't know any names, didn't list to anybody. He really wasn't advertising at all. Um, cause it was also fresh and brand new. So we missed the boat on that first year. The second year he had made, uh he had made it a point ahead of time to like find out when the dates were and make sure he was there at the drawing so he could get names. And that's kind of how he started. And then he just reached out via phone, um, you know, to, to protect, or to the, to the tag winners. And uh, you know, just Jack was, Jack was a teddy bear. I mean, he was a likable guy. He, he, anybody that talked to him, Walked away feeling like they were his best friend and they knew him for twenty years. I mean, he just was that kind of guy. And um he started, you know, he started booking clients in two thousand and two. Um, you know, all the way up to, to where we're at now. We're we're um well, I'm trying to remember the exact number off of my head. We're just over so we have just over three hundred clients that have come through the Elk County Outfitters doors. Um, you know, since two thousand and two when Jack started. And uh, and I believe we're at 298 elk harvests out of those a uh, little over 300. So, um, you know, we, we've had a really good success rate. Um, um, and of those, so out of those 298 some kills, um, we have been very fortunate to figure out the trick or whatever you want to say about tagging big bulls okay so we we have 33 so elk county outfitters clients have harvested 33 bulls that have grossed over 400 inches you know since that 2002 since that 2002 start date yep and hey that's not that's not rounding up the 390s either to be greedy you know that's those are legit gross 400 inch
1: bulls um how
2: yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's, it's become, it's become a passion. I mean, it has become um, life-changing really for, 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 for a bunch of the guys. Um, and, you know, uh, Elk County Outfitters clients hold three of the four elk records in the state. So Elk County Outfitters clients hold the, the have the number one typical firearms bull, the number one non-typical firearms bull, and the number one non-typical archery bull at this time. Um, wow. The typical elk archery record is the only one that uh, doesn't doesn't come home and rest on the ECO fireplace mantle. But you know we're working on it. We're always we're, we're always striving. You know, always looking for the biggest, baddest bull. It's just it's tough to find big typicals here
1: Sure. because our our bulls get
2: our bulls get really junky, you know, once they get up of age for whatever reason. Yeah, I find that same Um, thing,
1: too, with whitetails. Like, you get a a whitetail up in age, and he starts to throw some trash on. Like, I, with the whitetail that I killed here two years ago as a, I guess he would have been a three-year-old. As a three-year-old, he was a mainframe ten-pointer. He had one minor point that actually was a fifth that made him an eleven-pointer, and when I killed him the following Mm -hmm. year, he started throwing trash at his bases, and, like, he started to form some stickers at other places, and as a four-year-old so you know it's probably you know real similar in that genetic realm when it comes to elk when they get you know 10 11 12 years old I'm sure
2: oh de- definitely definitely and it's um it's definitely to do with our genetics for for whatever reason it's just in our bulls when they get up in that you know that upper age range like we said that 7 8 9 10 11 12 year old range there's just there's drop times, there's kickers there's splits on splits there's mass and webbing. Um, it's just. It's kind of a whole. It's it's just a whole nother uniqueness. You know, a whole nother thing that's unique to PA is the the potential for you know just big gnarly bulls.
1: And you've been um, with the uh, with Elk County Outfitters uh, since it started, or did that come in later? Like, where, well, when did you fit in here?
2: Yeah, so so I actually first met Jack in 2007. I had a good buddy of mine drew an elk drew an elk tag drew a bull tag, um, and. I I originally had a family camp in the elk range up here, but um, I didn't come up a whole lot. It was a family camp. It was my grandfather's cabin that he was in with some friends. My father grew up hunting there through that cabin. But then when my dad grew up and moved away, he bought a cabin with some of his other college buddies and kind of set down roots up in Tioga County there. And that's where I did a lot of my hunting and grew up. You know, I did my camp life grow up with my dad at his cabin Um, in Tioga. Um, so when my, when my buddy drew his tag in 07, drew his bull tag, I, I mean, I knew my grandfather had to camp here in the elk range and I had still visited and we'd come up, but I wasn't, I didn't have near the in depth knowledge, um, at that time. But I said to my buddy, I said, hey, look, uh, my buddy was torn when he drew his tag. He really wanted to hunt DIY. He was, that's just the kind of the hunter he was. He's a passionate hunter. He's a big time hunter. He wasn't afraid to scout. But at the same time, he knew the tag he had in his hand and he knew the narrow window of the season and he didn't want to squander that and make a bad decision by not hiring a guide. So even amongst all his own scouting and research and everything, he still, a couple guides reached out to him and he, uh, he made contact with a couple of the guys and one of them being Jack. So we were, I was up with him on one of our scouting trips ahead of the season. And we had a meeting set up um, one night at like 830 after dark. We were going to meet at the Medix Hotel and we meet in the parking lot. And so we pulled down there and that was the first time I met any of those guys. And, you know, my buddy had worked out a deal. He wanted to hunt a couple of days on his own. And if he wasn't having any luck and Jack was available or Jack's guys were available, he was going to jump on board and come hunt with Jack and his gang. So that was kind of where I first met Jack. <clears throat> Well, as it turned out, we we were on bulls, and the specific bull we were looking for the first day of my buddy's hunt um, when he had his tag, and and we shot a real good bull the very first morning. Nice. Um, but that whole that whole experience, that whole window from when my buddy drew his tag in August, we were up all through September through the rut, October, um, and then the you know the become November of the hunt. That whole window right there, just I mean. I mean, quite frankly, it changed my life. It, it's, it lit a fire for me that I didn't know that I had, um, inside. And, um, I became addicted after that, really. So I, at that time, I lived downstate in the Harrisburg area, um, suburbs uh, up, up river, up the Susquehanna River okay. above, uh, above Harrisburg. And, um, I started coming up to my grandfather's camp all the time after that. I mean, I just, I became addicted to, hearing the bugles running the trail cams, just going out, finding elk, seeing elk. And lo and behold, as it turned out, once I started spending more time up here myself, I started running into Jack and his guys pretty regularly, like three of the six times I'd be out somewhere, you know, out in the boonies somewhere I would run into Jack or one of his guys. And, you know, they're, they're doing the same thing. They're, they're out scouting, they're out looking, they're just out doing their elk thing. And, uh, you know, a couple times running into him, um, we got to be more buddies. We changed phone, exchanged phone numbers and talked a few times. And it finally took all the way until 2010. till my work schedule would actually work out to where I could, you know, take off time to come up for the Elk Hunt. Okay. And, uh, so really 2010 is when I kind of joined the Elk County Outfitters team. Um, uh, so that, that was when I got involved. And, you know, since then, I I just I mean I I dove in face first. I mean I I actually moved so I actually moved up to the elk range um a couple years after that specifically just because this this elk stuff just just overtook overtook my life. It just it was it was unreal. And I have a very very loving and understanding wife <laughs> who is very much an out, outdoors woman herself um and she, you know she's very much a country girl herself. And she was like, "Hey, you know what? Let's do it. Let's try something different." So, um, you know, we got we got really lucky and and found a great a great fixer upper. And I say great fixer upper. It was probably would have lit a match. We might have been better off. We put <laughs> oh, a lot man. of work into our place. We got her fixed up nice, and uh, you know, we have our own little slice of heaven up here in uh, northeast Clearfield County, in the heart of the Elk Range. There was actually elk in the backyard uh, this morning or this afternoon when I got home from work. Um, the grass is really greening up, and the elk there was a couple of small bulls uh, with new velvet regrowth that were munching nice so so I find myself here now in the elk range with uh you know my two sons are, well one 's grown now he's eighteen and the other's sixteen um, you know they're passionate outdoorsmen they're big time fishermen shed hunters, hunters themselves, trappers um, you know it, it was a great decision on our part for our family to make the move up here when, you know, when we did the, the, the age of our boys at the time, you know, they were early teens, um, very impressionable age. I wanted them to grow up in the country, not that where we lived was anywhere bad, but it was a little subdivision, you know, boys could, you couldn't go out in the back porch and shoot the BB gun. Um, you know, you really couldn't go to Ford anywhere. Things that boys need to do and want to do when they're yeah, growing up. You doubt. Know? And, um, you know, I, I made the decision and she was on board with it and, and we moved up here and that put me even more in the mix with elk on the daily now instead of just weekend trips, you know, or long weekends here and there. And I kind of got, I got more into this elk stuff with Jack um, and kind of essentially got to be like his, I guess for lack of a better term, like his right hand man. Okay. Um. So that kind of led us to, you know, when he unfortunately passed away. Um, I guess it kind of made sense for me to step up and, um, you know, take, take the reins of the, of his
1: operation and, and go from there. Gotcha. <clears throat> that, that makes a lot of sense. Um, that's a really cool story and it, it, I mean, you can mm-hmm. tell with the history of that, there's, uh there's there's just a, a great history a lot of potential with elk so before we get into I'm really interested in kind of your your scouting process and uh, I want to hear about some hunts in the process in the fall like you know that's the kind of stuff that eats me up but uh, the, the the first thing we got coming up is the application process when we buy our licenses and then we go into August when the drawing happens and last year i believe you can correct me if i'm wrong last year was the the first time that they just made a slight adjustment with how you can place your zones for where you apply and stuff like that and uh, i this isn't uh, this isn't a question for you to give us the whole legality and all that but what i'm curious to know is You know, I I had this conversation last year with some with some friends. Like, I don't know much about the zones within Pennsylvania and what to expect if you're trying to hunt a bull, if you just want to hunt a cow, or if you 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 just want to hunt an elk. You don't care where, um, that sort of thing. So, if if you don't mind, and I'm not sure how to navigate this, Mm -hmm. but if you don't mind, can you tell me a little bit about what to expect, and maybe not necessarily all you know all 12 or 14 zones i can't remember how many zones there are at the moment but not maybe not individually by the zones but just kind of a a general sense of maybe what people would be looking for when they when they make their application this year
2: yeah so so i mean that's a good question and and um you know we hear that we get that pretty much that exact question you know every year and really really you should start with asking yourself a couple questions um you know What do, what do I want out of this hunt? Do I only want to hunt a bull? Okay. That puts you in this bucket over here. Do I only want to hunt a cow? Yes. There are actually guys out there that only want to hunt a cow and they go into this bucket or there's like, you know what? I don't care what it is. I just want a chance to be able to put a tag on an elk in my home state and you get to sprinkle a little bit in both buckets there. So, so really you, you start, you start yourself with that. Then, so say, all right, I look, I only want to hunt a bull. Okay. Are you talking about you just want to get any nice, respectable bull or are you looking for a potential trophy? Or I mean, when I, and I say trove, everything's a trophy, especially in the eyes of the holder, but, um, you know, are you looking for like record book type stuff? Right. Um, so there, there are certain zones that lend themselves more that way. Um, you know, when, w- when you look at, well, I would say when you look at record books, but the record, the Pennsylvania record books, it just gives you the, the, the trophy owner, the year and the score. It doesn't break down zones where they were at. But, oh, okay. um, as, as far as if you want to do more research, if you at home, Mitchell and Robbie want to do some research on what zones, can, you know, regularly hold or kill the best bulls, I don't know if that data is out there anywhere aside from somebody compiling it on their own with a lot of anecdotal ev- or, you know anecdotal data you know okay. what i mean yeah. uh, so so the game commission k- keeps their score records and they do have notation on the zones you know within their score sheets but i don't think i don't think that's out there like on the on the game commission website for, for anybody to see gotcha. but so with that long roundabout way you know if you're talking about wanting to to, to kill record book bull you know most likely you're going to find that in, and this is in no particular order. Um, you know, you're going to find them in 12, 10, 13, 14, um, zone four. Um, and and I say those few zones because they're the ones that do it consistently. A, okay. a big bull can show up. A big bull can show up in any of those zones during any of the seasons. Last year, the biggest bull, the November hunt was actually taken in zone five. Okay. Which, you know, which, which is not one of those ones that usually jumps out to you as a bull that consistently puts out big bulls. Um, so, you know, that's, that, that's, that's the thing where, you know, if, if, if you want to kill a trophy bull and you want to capitalize and make the most out of your, your accumulated preference points, then, you know, you want to be looking at that 12, 10, 13, 14, zone four, um, you know, you know, regularly. And, and that that was kind of the reasoning for the Game Commission recently restructuring the application process. So before, like you mentioned, before you when you applied, you could pick a zone or you could pick any zone. And um, when it came to sex, you know, bull, cow, you could pick no preference. So essentially you're in there flying around in the computer system for the entire drawing, bull all the way to cow. With, with minimal effort and research required, you know, on your end. Sure. So, so since the way they've changed it now, they, they've brought it more into line with a lot of the application process for Western states. So for each season now, so we have three seasons. We have an archery season, a general season, and a late season. And all three of those seasons have bull and cow allocations now. So when you, when you go to apply for archery, you, you have up to five zone preferences you're required to put one in you're not required to put all five but it gives you up to five so let's just say i'm going to go apply for archery this year i'm going to check bull only i'm going to go 12 for my for my first out for my first choice then probably two let's see it's a toss-up right now i mean between 10 and 13 and then 14 and then five or then four i mean so At that point, I've chosen all four of my, of my, of my zones. There's a fifth option that comes up now that's called, um, fallback option, which essentially means no preference. So if I, if I fill out all five of my zones, and I do not click no preference, and my name would come up in the drawing, but, all four of my, or all five of my previous, um, zone choices are filled. I do not get a tag, right? But I, I maintain my points and you actually never see that because that's internally done within a split second with the computer. It's not like, um, it's not like my name is going to flash up on the screen and then it's going to say no tag because you know, zones are filled. It's something that's done internally. But if you click that if you click that fallback, which essentially means no preference, and I say I'm the very last bull tag drawn, and all the all my other choices are already filled, I'm going to get that very last bull tag, whatever zone it's for. So whatever numerically available um, um, zone is available, that's the one you're going to get if your preferred zone is already filled. If that makes sense.
1: Okay. Sure. <laughs>
2: So, so, and, and the reasoning behind that is there. there's quite a few guys out there. I mean, we're talking about uh, guys that have 18, 19 points, you know, invested and, and accumulated now. And guys that have deep connections to certain parts of the elk range. And they, for whatever reason, they own property there. They grew up, uh, you know, out of a hunting camp there or whatever. They know the elk and know where the big bulls are. They want to use their accumulated points for a zone they want to hunt. You know, they they don't necessarily want to draw a tag and essentially a once-in-a-lifetime tag and burn up nineteen twenty points for a zone that I'm not even prepared to hunt, that I don't know anything about. Sure. Yeah. And on the other side of that foot, there's guys that don't really care. They don't give a shit. I'll take any tag you want to give me. Yeah, exactly. And, you know, that's where you'll check. Make sure you check fallback. If, if that's, if that's, if that's in your wheelhouse that you don't care, you just want to tag any tag. It doesn't matter. You're happy with anything. Make sure you click fallback. If you do one preference choice and fallback or you do all four of your preference choices and fallback, your preference zones, make sure you click fallback. That's, that's, that's essentially the same as no preference. And that ensures that you stay in the drawing the entire time.
1: Okay. So I guess, you know, every a lot of the time people's mind go towards bull and shooting a bull. But mm-hmm. is uh, in your mind, for anybody who would say they, they just want to shoot a cow or they really, they really don't care, is there any difference for hunting a cow across the entire 14 zones um, in your mind? Oh. Or is it kind of just, you know an open book no right?
2: there definitely no there definitely is there there's certain zones where cows are easy now now again you know we're talking about three different seasons with three pretty significantly different times of the year as far as the elk's life cycle as far as where they're living you know during the rut you'll find elk in places during the rut that you couldn't buy an elk there the rest of the year for whatever reason okay, and, and vice versa, you know, for, and it same thing goes for general season and late season. So, you know, there are certain zones where cows are tough to come by in at certain times of the year, you know, depending upon those seasons. And, um, and it's not that um, it's like no chance you're going to eat a tag, no matter what, it's just, they're, they're, they're not as prevalent. They're not as uh, they're Maybe, maybe the cows at that time of year, are known to always be on private ground and, and they, you know, and they very rarely rent venture out onto huntable property in that, you know, during that time of the year, during that season. Um, I mean, a lot of the, a lot of the, a lot of the zones geographically are pretty big in relation to how us Pennsylvania hunters know things. Um, You know, I, I forget what the actual numbers are, but I would say that out of, you know, the entire elk range, elk might only inhabit 30% of the entire elk range. I mean, you know, it's, it's hundreds of thousands of acres and square miles, but there's not elk in that every inch of that, you know, of that, pro, you know, of that uh, right. management area. So, so it's, it's, um it, it can be, it, it's definitely more challenging. Nothing's impossible. Anything with homework and research, um, you know, is it, it's, it's definitely possible. Um, there's just, you know, a, a lot of people have the misconception that Pennsylvania elk hunting is a slam dunk. And, you know, there's there's a lot of hunters every year that don't fill their tags. And I bet you that every one of those guys would argue with you till they're blue in the face that it's not a fish in the barrel shoot. It's not just walk up and shoot one in the field. Um, you know, there, there are certain zones in certain areas, like I said, at certain times of the year that it's challenging. It's a hunt. You better be watching the wind. And you better be watching how much noise you're making. Um, and hopefully you've done some homework and you've done some research. You've talked to locals or you're listening. You've hired a guide, you know, that sort of thing. Um, there's, there, there's, there, there are certain zones, certain areas that I would never use the term easy, but they're, you know, a very high success rate often makes people believe that. Okay. And you know, lends you to that train of thought. Um, and there are certain zones where and if you've done your homework right and your guide has done your homework right, you should be pulling the trigger minutes after first light the first day. Does that necessarily mean it was an easy hunt? Uh, you know, that's that's up for debate. How much hiking and scouting did you do ahead of time to put yourself into that position to be
1: able to capitalize on your first opportunity?
2: Yeah, so, I'm sure a lot know, of your he's, clients he's probably relative. don't expect
1: know what to expect there. Like, uh, Yeah. Tell well, me a little know, I mean, bit about that, Brian. Like, like, what should uh, a client first, the, expect when they come to Elk County Outfitters?
2: Yeah, so so the first thing is, like, I mean, we tell everybody this but when in very early in conversations. Whatever your vision of elk hunting is, whether you've hunted elk out west or you've never hunted elk out west, crumple it up in the ball and throw it away.
1: Yeah, I was going to ask you that, too. Is it different?
2: Yeah, Pennsylvania elk hunting is, is is nothing like anything out west. Um, we don't have we don't have the terrain, we don't have the vantage points. You know, where you get and sit on a high bluff and you glass for half a day and then go make a move. Um, you know, we, we just don't have that type of terrain, um, and and our animals are um, are not. Are not the same. Are not the same. Don't have the same mentality. So again, you know, I, I drift back to not saying things are easy. There, there's some I I have encountered animals, bulls in particular for sure, that I know during the rut that we could, you know, I've seen them in places where they they don't seem to have much fear of humans. They're you know they're all pumped up. They're all full of testosterone for the rut. They're breeding. You know, they're chasing. They're fighting. That exact same bull three weeks after the end of the rut is out in the boonies somewhere and that dude smells you from 200 yards away. He's on you and he's gone like a bolt of lightning. There's, there's just different times of the year, you know, where they, they elk act different. Same thing. Even I've noticed, um, bulls, not not even just bulls, but elk elk kind of know where they're used to seeing people. If elk are out in fields or along roads, they're used to having cars drive by all the time and nothing that bad ever happens. But you uh, you come walking up some oak bench out in the middle of nowhere and pop up over and there's elk laying there, buddy. They're gonna jump up and run like fire because no, there's not supposed to be people here. This mm-hmm. isn't right. I'm I'm getting out of dodge. So so you know we tell people a lot of times that don't don't try to make any comparison to Western stuff because that's not the case. Um, you know we 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 do a lot of our scouting um, ahead of time. Related to food plots and fields and power lines right away, you know, power lines and, and gas line right away. Um, you know, elk are grazers by nature or so they do browse, but elk are grazers. So they're on grass. They need grass. Where do you find grass in openings? Openings, you know, are, um, fields, whether they're agriculture fields, whether they're, you know, uh, man-made food plots, power lines, um, um, right aways, you know anything like that and quite frankly sometimes yards you know camp yards or you know um, residential type areas mm-hmm. so so you're you're looking to that's essentially where you start where you start to find where you start to find elk and grass you know i mean they, they're looking for grass um and then from there you got to capitalize on that because they're active. They're most active the first hour or so of day, of daylight and the last hour or so of daylight. After that, mostly they're pulled back into the woods, out of sight, out of mind. And you know, it's not like out West where you can get up high in glass and pick out animals that are bedded or, or milling around or whatever. You know, you, your first, your first guess has to be the best guess first thing in the morning. And then you just scramble after that to try to get to as many likely areas as possible in that, well, I always call it the prime time, you know, in that prime time window. Um, and that's pretty, that's pretty reliable year round. I mean, especially in the summertime when we're talking about being super hot, um, you know, a lot of time elk are even out of the fields in the dark, just trying to get back into some type of thermal cover just to try to, you know, beat the heat essentially, because it just gets so dang hot. Um, so, so when when you're when you're up with us and we're scouting and we're looking, we're trying to make we're trying to make the most out of that you know that first hour of daylight and that last hour of daylight. In between there, you know, we will take some walks. We do some little things. Maybe go talk to some landowners, um, you know, th- th- things like that. Maybe go maybe go check out an area that we hadn't been into in a while. See if there's any sign,
1: something you know th- things of that nature. Yeah, that, that makes a lot of sense. So on to uh, a little bit more into the scouting and food sources. So yeah, elk or or grazers by nature, you're looking for grass. Now with the, uh, the expansion of seasons here in the past, I believe three or four seasons, um, you know, we've got uh, archery, our our standard regular season and late season. How does your scouting um, adjust throughout the entire length of the fall specifically um do are you keying in on certain food sources throughout that time are you keying in on certain betting locations or security locations where you know they've been maybe they were harassed the first part of the season and this is a remote location that i'm going to go and and pick out or dive into that a little bit. Yeah. So,
2: um, scouting, you know, we're just like all the other deer hunters. We, we employ, um, cell or not cell cams. I'm sorry. I don't even own a cell cam, but we employ trail cams. So, so, you know, we we use those a lot, um, throughout the year. Um, scouting, scouting in the summertime for me essentially involves frequenting historical bull summer areas. Um, so, Bulls will will habitually use the same areas year after year after year. Especially the bigger bulls, they become—I I don't want to say super predictable—but once you have a big bull figured out from a couple years worth of following him, you know. Right now, I can think of two bulls right now off the head and off the tip of, off the top of my head. Right now, we're talking about where it's the end of April. I would almost bet a paycheck right now that I know where I can find them bulls in July. Um, in velvet, you know, growing up just because I know now I've encountered them three years in a row in this same, one same general area. And both, all those bulls are live providing they don't get hit by a car or God forbid poached or something, you know, between now and the summertime. Sure. So, so, so a lot of times for me and, and the guys and, and the guys in general, you know, our summertime scouting is a lot of just just frequenting the, the the known areas, you know, the known places where we see bulls and where we see big bulls. And essentially we're trying to start, we're trying to start a inventory, so to speak of, of what big bulls are out there. You know, knowing a bull exists, just knowing it merely walks is half the battle. Um, because you can very easily pull the trigger too quick here, uh, in Pennsylvania. If, if, if you have a specific goal in mind, you know? Um, So, so knowing a certain bully even exists is a big thing. So we spent a lot of the time in the summer, me and the guys hanging and running trail cams and frequenting, um, you know, known summer areas, trying to gauge what, what the big boys are doing. And there's always new big boys that come out of nowhere, whether it's the bull that just kind of made his big jump, you know, in that six, seven, eight year window. And just his antlers explode, to just a totally unknown bull that had just flown under the radar, you know, for, for whatever reason. Um, so you know that through all the way up to velvet shed. Once that velvet rubs off, then it's totally different. Within a couple of days of that bull rubbing his velvet off, which is usually around middle end of August, they're usually they're usually going to be on their move to where where they're going to rut. So we have bulls that make some pretty significant. um pilgrimage so to speak for the rut bulls that summer in areas that already have cows in them they walk through areas that have lots of cows in them to go to another spot that has a lot of cows and then that's where they rut for three or four weeks Mm. and you know i mean it's noticeable because they have distinguishable racks and you know well holy cow that bull was over here 18 miles away three weeks ago now he's running the show over here at this herd you know and he just went through all these other good areas. Uh, who knows why? It's an instinctual thing. So once you see, once you see bulls start going the hard horn and you start finding rubs, um, that's, that's when we're changing gears. We're pulling cams and we're getting cams back into what's essentially is like our known rut areas. There's certain areas that just become absolute hot spots with rut activity that other times of the year are mostly dry or are mostly cows. So, you know, we're redeploying our our cameras out there. Now, hopefully, we have clients booked for archery season. um, And we, you know, now we have a baseline. Now we have, look, we we have video. We have trail camera pictures. These are the bulls that we're looking for. Plus, during the rut, you never know. There's always a wild card that just a bull that comes out of nowhere. Happens every year um, or even multiple bulls. So then, then we shift to you know the rut, the rut type of scouting, is same thing. Early in the morning, getting to those rut, rut places, and just watching and listening, and and you know trying to get eyeballs on things again. Um, what what we try to do, uh, and we try to always know. Fast forward way to whenever we're we're actually hunting, gun in hand, bow in hand. We always we tend to always try to the best of our ability know what we're hunting for. All right, we we've already we 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 our homework and scouting has told us bull A B C D E is in this area or something, and these are the bulls we're after. Uh, we, we don't like to spend a whole lot of time blind hunting because you sh- you know our homework ahead of time is going to should cut that out for us. We should already have a game plan, a strategy so to speak, already in place based on our scouting, previous you know, tribal knowledge of, of, of where the elk hang and where the elk move and how they react to other pressure, um, that sort of thing. So um, you know during the rut, that's that's our first time that we're hunting. So now now we're employing all of our knowledge that we've gained through through the summertime Velvet scouting and just again, tribal knowledge of where bulls tend to rut. Like, like, so say this. uh, Say if this summer the the two bulls I mentioned about, I know where I could find them in July. If for some reason I don't put eyes on them, then I would again bet a paycheck that well I lost the first one, but I'm pretty sure I know where I can find them bulls during the rut. And you know we're gonna have a hunter there. So that's that's where a lot of you know multiple years of putting the pieces of the puzzle together, scouting sheds sometimes um you know sheds confirm what you know your what what you had thought as far as you know physical size but it, it all helps close the loop you know on on um pieces of the puzzle and and actually getting one of the big bulls down and it the same thing applies to cows though too i mean not to not to the same extent but just with the way the animals move and Oh, I'm just looking out my window right now, guys, and there's two bulls that just come out. Oh, you're you're killing just me! Came, just came out in the, back, in the back of the field. I can just see bodies and velvet stubbies sticking up. Um. Uh. Yeah. So, I mean, It's like distracted squirrel. It, it, <laughs> oh, yeah, 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 yeah. She, she sees something shiny. I'm like, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Bulls. Um. <laughs> so, 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 a lot of that can still be employed to to cows, as far as. You know, historic ranges where the animals go. When you're cow hunting, mostly you're looking for a big mature cow. Um, you know, and you find a herd, there might be six, seven, 8, 10, 20 mature cows there as opposed to, you know, one particular bull that you would be looking for. Um, so then that, then after the rut winds down, think of everything in reverse then. So that, that bull that walked 18 miles to go rut, he's now walking 18 miles back, but he usually takes a lot longer to come back. He's not quite as spry. He's usually beat up pretty good. He's probably limping. He's hungry as all get out. He's thirsty. You know, he just spent three, four weeks running his tail off, trying to breed and defend, you know, defend whatever cows he had, whatever his herd was. So they take quite a bit more. Bulls take quite a bit more time to return back to back to what I would say. Was, and I, I would say home range. I use that pretty loosely because – we don't have the huge migrations and talking about, um, you know, summer ranges and home ranges and winter ranges like they do, you know, talking about Western stuff. But, you know, we do have little there, – there are small pockets of noticeable movement, you know, within our elk range, within our herd that that we have, you know, discovered and we have put together throughout the years. Um, and it takes them longer to come back, and that's getting you right into that November, the general hunt time, you know. Okay. So, so at that time of year, the bulls are hungry. And man, are they hungry. So, I mean, they are, they're staying out in the plots a lot of times a little bit longer than they would normally because they're eating grass. Even though they were there all night, they're going to, they're still eating. And they're going to key in more now also on hard mast at that time of year because that's, that's around the time too, the acorns, beech nuts, um, that sort of thing. We don't have a whole lot of beech nuts up here in the elk range. There are pockets. And last year was actually a really good beach nut year for oh, yeah, for, uh, for a couple of ridges, a couple of the ridges and benches I know were really heavy with beach. and good. They were actually uh, they were actually good beach nuts. They weren't just hulls. I mean, mm. they had they had the nut in them. So you know, at that that time of year, that November, you know, post rut, um, middle late October, early November, them bulls are all about recovery. They're trying to eat as much as they can. They're resting. They're sleeping. And um, we have since pulled our cameras again from the rut places and now put them out um, you know in in areas where we think our bulls are coming back to and again you know it comes with historical tribal knowledge so to speak of look where where these bulls show up year in year out depending on the time of the year so and again your, your first you know your first hour of daylight and your last hour of daylight still are pretty much that that holds true pretty much all year but you can find them bulls out in the open sometimes longer in that november and in the late season into january um just because they're trying to recover they're hungry you know they're they're eating they're eating they're eating their guards let down some you know um and then again from there we now we're tabulating all of our summertime information our rut information and everything we've just gathered in that, you know, October, early November window, and now we're applying that to our general hunt. Um, taking into consideration any elk that might have already been harvested though, you know, through the, through the archery season, which is, which would be before. And, um, hope, you know, knock on wood, hopefully, you know, we, we have a good November season and, uh, we can capitalize there. And then we move into January, which just up, Last year was the first year that there was late-season bull tags. Right. So so, so we have three. So initially there was one elk season, one week, the first week of November. That's how it always – from 2001, that's how it went all the way up to, what would it be, 2019. Yep, 2019? Yeah, 2019. That was when we started an archery season and a late season. Our archery season was comprised of bull and cow tags, the late season was cow tag only. So that went for two years like that until last year, 2021, the game commission implemented bull tags to that late season allocation. So that changed the dynamic a little bit of, you know, where, where the bulls are, where we're looking for bulls in January now, where we never did before for hunting purposes. You know, it was, uh, it was cows in January. So, so, you know you're shifting and a lot of times but then we have snow too and you, and think about it in January there ain't much for grass really at that point things are chewed over worked over pretty good um, you know food plots are usually mowed right to the dirt mm-hmm. um, grass has turned brown there's not a whole lot of there's not a whole lot of grazing opportunity left at that time of year the elks switch a lot to browsing I mean they still find grass they still know how to find spring seeps and, you know, they'll still search out and seek out green grass here and there. But they, you know, they'll shift mainly to um, a lot of browse, um, a lot, you know, digging for acorns, beech nuts, that sort of thing, stripping bark off of trees, um, you know. And you'll know, this is where you'll oftentimes find bulls more so out in no man's land, out in the boonies, you know, out, out in well, uh, woods, I should say, at least anyways, you know, in the woods, not so much related to those open type areas. So, and usually that time of year we have snow. So that's, that's a big plus. That's a big help for us, you know, cause we can track obviously. And when you can track, you can catch up to them and you can confirm, you know, is this a bull we want to go after? Is this a bull we want? Are these, is this cows? You know, a lot of times you, you followed a couple tracks for a little bit. You can tell almost bulls and cows cause there's, there's a great size difference there. Um, you can generally tell a bull track from a cow track, but, um, you know the 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 january thing is was is pretty much totally it was totally new last year the january bull hunt um so it was uh it was a fun time it was a new time it was awesome to be able to be involved with something that was new brand new and fresh you know did you have any Um, success
1: stories that you could share with us on that late season hunt or, or any learning experience if there weren't any kill success stories oh yeah
2: no yeah yeah so so last year um, we had, so we we had, we had both the extremes. So in archery season, we were a hundred percent in November, we were a hundred percent. And in the late season, we had one cow hunter, not harvest. Um, wow. So yeah. Yeah. And everybody was scratching. Well, how do you not be able to shoot a cow? Well, we found cows could get permission. Mm. So they, they were on private property. Um, a friend of ours was archery hunting. He had permission to archery hunting there. He had saw some cows. He let us know. We knocked on the door for elk permission. Nope. So, you know, back to the drawing board and we spent a lot of time. I forget. I think we were well over 40, almost 50 miles on foot that week with, you know, with the hunter. We got some snow the end of the towards the last two days. We did a bunch of tracking and man, did we see, we saw a whopper bull. I mean, a a bull that made me stop and go, wow. And he was on fire when we saw him. He jumped up out of the laurel. I mean, we, we were tracking, and we're going along, we're going along. And I, I whispered to the hunter, I was like, can you believe these bull, these elk are even in here? I said, this is like we're doing a bear drive. Right. So it was just so thick with laurel, you know, tangled up. Laurel and rhododendron and everything. And we're, we're sneaking along, trying to be as quiet as we can, but you can't in that stuff. And all of a sudden, 60 yards ahead of us, two elk just explode out of the, out of the laurel. And there's just this gigantic two, they were both good bulls. The one, it was just a gigantic rack. Is just tearing down through in front of us. And I remember I looked over him and I said, did you see that? And he looked over at me and he said, that was big, wasn't it? And I said, <laughs> yes, sir, it was. <laughs> I said, I don't know what it was, but that was big. And just like that, you know, the bulls were gone. So that, that was our, you know, that was our little, that was our, um, bittersweet thing there, you know, where we, we didn't heart, we didn't, we didn't fill a tag. Um, you know, the old cliche, it's, it's not killing, it's hunting, you know, that, that definitely comes into play, but we, we try to, we pride ourselves on doing as much homework ahead of time as we can so we can be successful. But there's always, you know, there, there's always outside forces that, you know, can cause somebody to, you know, to um that, to, to go home empty handed, but it wasn't for lack of effort. It wasn't for lack of trying. It wasn't for lack of manpower. Um, we had a great hunt. You know, a lot of laughs. Uh, the guy was in great spirits, even when he left. You know, he was very happy. Um, but we just didn't have a, didn't couldn't get an elk in the back of his truck. Um, now, conversely, you know, we, we we killed a pretty big bull in um, in zone four in the late season um, with, with a fella that he he actually. His son had drew an elk, had drew a bull tag a couple years prior and was unsuccessful also. This particular hunter. So when the, when the dad drew the tag, um, you know, he had made some other calls and talked around to people. And, um, this time he decided to come with us. Well, when his son had had the tag and was unsuccessful, they didn't hunt with Elk County Outfitters. Um, this time around, I guess he did some research, did some more phone calls. He did, we did lots of meets. He came up and met a few times. And uh, he decided to come hunt with us, and um, we, he killed a pretty big bull. I'm really excited to hear to find out the age of that. So, just as we're recording this now, here the end of April, um, I think it's gonna. I think we talked about it's gonna air further into May. But you um, got it. Right, right now the game commission is sending out the age certificates to all the past all last season's hunters. So, so they so just like bears, when when you harvest an elk, they pull a tooth. The game commission pulls a tooth and they send it away for dental censure. Just like when you cut a tree down, you can count the rings on, see how old it is. They do the same thing with a tooth, with an elk tooth. They cut it, take a bisection of it, and then cut the count the rings, and then you know you find out how old the animal is. And um this bull that we killed in zone four with our late season hunter was old. Um his teeth were ground and worn down, his body had looked like it was the det- I don't want to say it was deteriorated to the point where he was sickly, but you could just tell it was an old bull to look at him. His facial structure, he had lots of scars all over him, you know, from, from combat, from fighting. Um, just a really, really old bull, and I'm really hoping to hear back from him any day now. But I, I know guys are starting to receive these in the mail about how old that bull is because that, that's a bull I think I think that bull's up there with one of the older ones we've ever harvested. <clears throat>
1: So that late season hunt, you know, you told me about the one uh, busting out a really, really thick laurel, like a bear drive. You know, I'm, I'm real familiar with ter- uh, terrain like that. Do you find that the late season hunting, you do end up going into some more tre- treacherous mountain stuff? They're, they're on browse. I mean, I don't know if elk browse on laurel. I know deer do. Um, like, like is, is it just a, a much more physically demanding hunt in that late season compared to normal? Well, yeah. yeah, So, so there's a potential to be, and, and again, you know, as I talked
2: about early on about, you know, comparison to Western style hunting um, there's uh, physical requirements really are what you want to make it out to be. So there's an obvious, I'm trying to think of how to word this. Um, You have to be upfront with yourself about what your physical abilities are. Right. So there's, I would love to get this data from Jeremy Banfield, the Game Commission elk biologist, and he may have this. I'm not sure, but I would love to know the average age of an elk tag recipient in Pennsylvania, because it, from our aspect, it generally, it definitely, and honestly, seems like there's, and I don't want to use the term elderly, but a lot of times, guys that draw tags are up in age. And, you know, be, becoming up in age and a senior, you're, you're not as mobile. I mean, just quite frankly, it, it is what it is. And, um, you know, some guys come to us immediately and they'll say, look, I have a bad back. I have bad knees. I love to hunt. I hunt deer all over at home, but I ride a four-wheeler to my tree stand. I can't walk miles. I could walk a mile, but it's got to be on a flat, open road. I can't walk at all, or I could do two or three. Let's go, let's go kick ass for one day, but then I'm going to be hurting and we're going to have to go soft for a couple of days, you know, stuff like that. Um, there, 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 there's, there's a, there's a wide range of physical, physical requirements. Um, and especially a lot of it's based on the zone, the zone that you would draw to, you know, some zones are, are more public land with uh, less, less easy access. Other zones are mostly all private land or where the elk happen to be during the hunting seasons are private land where you're oftentimes fortunate to have easy access, whether it be, you know, through landowners gates or, um, you know, you can drive out logging roads to places, that sort of thing. Um, other other areas that have vast amount of public ground, the gates are closed, bud. You're walking. And some of the places are two, three, even four miles in um uh to you know to some of the areas that you hunt and then once you go in there you're probably gonna stay there all day you're gonna take a backpack with a lunch and a bottle of water and all the all the goodies if you would need um you know to stay in there and hunt all day so you know you know physical requirements it's all about being honest with yourself up front and with your guide if, if that's if in your outfit or if, if you would choose you know to go go the guided route um, because you know, I, I had a hunter a couple years ago in 2015, actually. Um, he came to us pretty late in the booking process, but we, we still had openings. And uh, actually, I ended up being the guide that was with him to take him out. <coughs> and um, prior, all conversations and meetings, never one issue about mobility. Um, he, he got in and out of the truck fine. He walked around camp fine. Never seemed to be an issue. Monday morning, the first day of elk season, we parked at this gate. and We had about a two and a half mile walk back to this group of food plots on, on game lands that I wanted to go to. I'd done a bunch of scouting. I, cows were there. If we didn't get them that first day, I know we would be good there the next day or two. Hundred yards in from the gate, the first day, my dude has to stop and take a break. Oh, my knees hurt. I was like, okay, no, you know, no biggie. Couple of seconds, a minute or two. All right, let's go again. 50 yard. I got to stop. My knees hurt. Like, and in my mind, I'm thinking, well, what the heck, you know? And okay, let's go again. Oh, now my back hurts 50 yards late. Well, long story short, we only made it about 300 yards, three or 400 yards through that gate. And it was almost getting daylight already because we had to take so many breaks. And this fella had not mentioned any of this to us ahead of time that he had, you know, had these physical issues, which I would have completely reevaluated my scouting strategy. You know, I wouldn't have spent any time in that area ahead of time, knowing that my dude couldn't get in there. I would have, I would have backed out and looked for other places, you know, places where there are easy access. Um, so it's all, and and uh, you know that that just turned into be that just turned out to be a whole, just a whole nother rabbit hole to go down there where mm-hmm. where yeah. you know you know your physical, you you got to be upfront with yourself about you know what what you can do. Most guys aren't. And I use air quotes here. as We're talking mountain athletes. Everybody, you know, out west wants to talk about mountain athletes and and training all year long and this and that. And they can go for in miles and miles and miles. Ninety five percent, ninety nine percent of the people that draw our tags here aren't mountain athletes. Right. Far from mountain athletes, you know. Um, but there, but there can be physically demanding and physical requirements for this. If you choose there to be, you just need to know and be able to be honest up front. As to what what you can and can or what you are and are not capable of, you know, and that sets the tone. That'll set the tone for everything for a good hunt or a bad hunt. It, it, quite frankly, it will. You know, I mean, you go the first day and don't tell, don't lead on about any issues, and you're crippled the next two days. And holy crap, now now we're really scrambling because we weren't prepared. Right. Whereas you know, if we would have known ahead of time, maybe we would have reevaluated. We would have scouted different ways. And we wouldn't have done the things we've done, you know, did prior.
1: Yeah, so, it's a shame. That's so a this, lot of wasted points time and time and, you know, a lot of wasted effort on you. Not wasted effort, but a, a loss of loss of effort in, in all the planning you did in that case. That's that's a shame.
2: Yeah, yeah. I mean, it is because, I mean, honestly, we want everybody to be successful. I mean, we want our names attached to success. So we want everybody successful. Not only successful, but a good hunt. You know, you can be successful and fill that tag and still not have a good time you know, still, still not have a good hunt. Um, that you know, those two things do go hand in hand, (laughs) but, um, you know, that's where being, like I said, you know, being honest with yourself and with your guide or your buddies that would be helping you, you know, whatever, um, um, you know, to be honest and that will ultimately affect, uh, that will ultimately positively affect your hunt in the long run and in the overall.
1: Gotcha. That, that makes a lot of sense. I, uh, uh, so, so a little bit of tidbit about me. I'm a, I'm kind of a fanatic bow hunter. That's, that's my niche, my favorite thing to do. I've been fortunate enough. I was able to go out West in Montana, uh, harvest a really, really nice six by six bull. I got to experience Uh bull coming into a cow call, you know, shooting him. I watched him fall over. I mean, it was, it was a, a top of the line bucket list hunt. And I, I think if I had to have my cake and eat it too, so to speak, if I am ever lucky enough to draw a tag in Pennsylvania, I I would love to experience that again in, in archer season in the rut with my bow in hand. Um, so there's with, nothing like it, man. yeah there's nothing like with it, that man. in mind I mean do you have any any stories in the you know this past hunting season or maybe in the you know the, the the past three years as this archery season starts that just like that was like a textbook get your blood pumping type of bow hunt for an elk
2: well it's it's, it's funny you mention that because so so last season um we um we, we were fortunate enough to guide um the the what everybody calls the governor tag hunter the rocky mountain elk federation auction tag hunt, hunter and he chose to hunt with a bow and so that puts him right in during the rut during that the normal archery elk archery season is in for the regular tag holders so we had a monstrous bull figured out um we seen him in velvet he made the move where we thought he would and had been in rut we saw him a couple days before, um, you know, the hunter was in, and uh, we we made a game plan. And so we go in that morning first thing, and uh, solid fog. I mean, just solid fog. You can barely see 30 yards in front of you. And there is bulls going nuts everywhere, bugling all around 360. You can hear fights, cows chirping. We just get to a spot where we think that we need to be and just hope for the fog to burn off because there's so much going on. There's so much chaos. The bull's there somewhere. We just don't know where. Well, as we, as we're nearing our spot, there's a little pocket in the fog where we can see a little farther and holy crap, don't we see a single elk just feeding along quietly by himself. And he puts his head up to look towards a bugle that just ripped off. And I was like, I said to the hunter, "That's him. That's him. Holy crap, that's him!" And we're looking, we're looking. He's by himself. He is just like played out. I don't know if he had a raucous evening and or what the deal was, but he was by himself. He was he was not having any anything rut related at that moment.
1: Sorry about that. Real quick intermission. Have a long conversation. Sometimes you got to take a quick break. Let's get back to it. Anyway, yep. you were uh, you were kind of getting into. You see this bull and. Uh, and he's all by himself. He's in a he's he's grazing but he's he's kind of tapped out from the rut and and kind of what happened from there?
2: Yeah, so so you know as the fog is kind of like, you know, in and out and we can see a little bit farther for a couple minutes, couple seconds, fog comes back in. This bull is just head down feeding. He's looking up when there's a bugle, but he's, like, paying no attention to him, really. I, Like I said, I think he had a – he must have – he was by himself. He didn't have any cows. And this is a big bull. This is actually a 10-by-9 bull. Holy cow. Over 400 inches. And I don't know. I mean, he was by himself, so I think he got licked. I think somebody whooped him. I don't know if it was a bigger rack-wise, but he must have been tougher, stronger body-wise. So – here we are. There's total chaos all around us. Other bulls bugling, other fights, but we can't see nothing because it's so fogged t- in. so fogged in and tight. And I, I don't want to stop you bull. for a
1: second, but like, what is uh-huh. going through your guys' mind when you've got that kind of chaos in a field like that? Because there's a part of me that would be like, like a little bit on edge with you know thousand pound bulls kind of running ragged.
2: Well, I'll be quite honest with you. I, in my mind, I said a prayer to my buddy Jack. (laughs) I did. I said, Jack, let this. Let's let let this happen. I said, be with us here because I I I couldn't believe it was it was just the stars aligned. that that was the bull, you know, and and holy crap, there he was. It's not like we had twenty other cows that we had to try to draw and you know worry about getting busted. Here's our bull. He's alone. He's forty four yards away through the fog. And this, I can't believe this is happening. You know, just like that. And um, sure enough, you know, my guy came to full draw, and we made a made a quick chirp, and the bull stopped, looked, you know, and it, the shot went, and it just sunk. And I was like, "Holy cow! I can't believe that!" And of course, the bull tears off. You know, and and we lose him. I mean, just because it's so foggy, within like three or four jumps, he's gone. But we mm-hmm. hear, you know, we hear crashing, you know, crashing and, um, you know, shaking. then immediately everybody starts shaking then, you know, I mean, so it was me and the hunter together, and his very good buddy was right with us, and then one my other, one of our other guides um, was back behind us about 60 yards, he was going to do some calling if we needed, he could see everything, he was just back from us, um, he couldn't see because of the fog, you know, for him, but um, he, you know, so we w- wave him up, we wave him up, and we're all whispering, you know, what's going on, I can't believe this, and everybody's shaking, and it's just, it's just. I can't believe this happened, and we're sitting there. Then we 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 hear more thrashing, the sound, and we hear hear some gurgling, and we're like, oh my gosh, he is down right there. I can't believe it, you know. So that's where that's where the um, the that's where self control came in. I said, look, guys, we are not moving for an hour. We're not yeah, taking move. a chance. I said, it's 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 still so foggy too. If we, I mean, the bull. I'm confident the bull was dead within seconds of that shot. But it was so foggy, if we would have pursued and jumped that bull, we would have never we wouldn't have been able to see where he ran to, what he looked like. Was there blood on him? Was there blood in his mouth? You know, it was too foggy. We we still couldn't see. So we hung there for about an hour and and, and we just waited. Um we did advance and find the arrow. We, we we did advance up to where the shot was and we found the arrow. Everything looked good and you know we're just waiting and Biden time I said look we're still we're waiting we're waiting an hour waiting an hour looked at the watch i said 1 hour from right now 60 minutes then we're going to you know then we'll go and uh, i mean it was it it was nerve-wracking you know being sitting there the whole time just waiting and and the fog never actually really lifted so we take up the trail and um 50 yards max there lays the bull piled up you know and uh just we we pulled his rack out of the bushes and it was just like holy cow i can't believe splits on splits um just 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 a, a monstrous bull a, a big a big big bull and it's funny how how anticlimactic and non-rut that little hunt went you know because that bull wasn't that bull was taken he was taking the morning off for whatever reason you know he was tired he got beat up um and that, when you envision that, you know, the big making a cow call and a bull screaming coming right into your face and shooting him, you know, almost a point blank because he's charging you, that, that this one didn't go that way, you know. But conversely, last year we had another – we had an archery bull hunter for zone four, and he shot what is now the state record non-typical bull. Um, it's a net four – oh, boy, boy, now – well, I feel like a goober for not knowing this. It's a net four hundred inch bull, four o oh, four hundred and change, um, four hundred and a couple eights net. Wow. Um, wow. That bull came charging out of nowhere. They 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 had the, the guys. I wasn't with them. It was a couple of my other guys and the hunter and his dad. They had slipped into an area where again they historically know that there's elk that rut and got in there. Um, they got in there early, as far as like as far as the afternoon. This was an afternoon hunt. And, uh, got kind of set up in a little makeshift blind thing they had there and started a couple cow calls. And lo and behold, this bull just comes absolutely charging out of the woods. Textbook, just like, you know, just like you would think comes charging into the field. Like just his nostrils are full of spit and he's bugling and spitting everywhere, you know, and he's fired up for whatever reason. He might have rested all day and now he's ready to go. He's going to go get his cows back. You know, this guy was alone too. This big bull. So, the um, you know, this bull comes in at like twenty-three yards. Our guy just drills him, smokes him. That bull only goes like twenty yards and piles up, never even makes it out of the out of the field. Um, and it, and that was just, and then it was complete chaos after that. There, because there was still elk coming you know there was other bulls there was cows that were coming in that area the guy said that night was just incredible with that big bull reacting the way he did and then again all the other activity was around them on you know outside um you know outside the area outside right you know immediately where they were at and they was just they said it was incredible
1: that is insane and it almost awesome. makes me want to feel like when i when i send my application in this year like it's almost like just for that experience, just to have the chance to experience that, I almost want to like sway my application to only you know certain zones, and just for an archery elk hunt, just because that would be <coughs> so cool to experience yeah. in Pennsylvania. Oh yeah, I mean be, being able, I mean to be able to do that here, yeah. you know,
2: you don't got to go twenty some, thirty some hours uh, in the truck or on the plane, you know, to go out west. We have that here. You know, I mean, it's, it's, it's pretty incredible. It's, it's an awesome opportunity. Um, and, you know, the, 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 fact of, of how unique and how once in a lifetime and how special this is, you know, our, our guys, myself, including all our guides, you know, we, we treat every tag like it's our own personal tag. You know, we, it's, it's the utmost um, effort and respect goes into that too. So, you know, it's just the same as if we had the tag in our own pocket, you know, um, actually, so 13, so I have, um, last year, I believe we had 32, we had 32 licensed guides with elk county outfitters. Um, 13 of those guys are past elk hunters. So they're guys that actually had to tag in their pocket. They experienced what we just talked about and what everybody wow. else That's dreams cool. about. And, and, you know, they, they, they got bit by the bug and they, you know, they had come to Jack in the past. And me, and it said, you know, look, I, I, I'm in love with this. I, w- what can I do to be a part of this? What can I do to be involved? You know, if it's you just need help in the field, dragging out, or butchering, or cutting, or guides, or what do I need to do to just to still be involved? You know, and um, you know, to, to to me, that's a big testament of of the Elk County Outfitters family is you know, 13 of our guides had to tag before, or I'm oh, sorry, it's actually it's 14, it's 14 because um, I'm actually not counting myself. I drew a cow tag in 2015. Nice. So I, I actually experienced this myself and lived through it. Um, I, I was one of the goofy guys. I burned at the time, I had max points, I believe it was 14. I burned up 14 points on a cow tag. And I couldn't, I mean, you couldn't have wiped the
1: smile off my face. <laughs> well, I was wh- so dang happy. My, my rebuttal to, the to that, my rebuttal to the, my thought of, bull only is exactly uh the like post elk hunt that i went in montana so uh myself and my uncle and my good buddy we went on this hunt and we were all three of us were successful and we always talked about it and and my uncle at the time who he's he's probably listening to this as we speak but he uh He always said, like, I think I only want to apply for a bull tag. He's like, if if I'm going to waste all my points or, or use my points up, I'd really like to do it on a bull in Pennsylvania. And then after mm-hmm. we killed bulls in Montana and came back and got to like consume elk, he was like, oh my yeah. word, I think I'm going to apply for <laughs> for both because this is fantastic.
0: Yep. Yeah.
2: Well, see, so here, so here's a here's a little bit of a plus now also too. Um, and we actually didn't, we didn't, we didn't touch on this earlier when we were talking about um, um, application and zones. So, so we have three seasons here in Pennsylvania now. Mm-hmm. So there is essentially, not essentially, there is three separate bonus point pools. So if you have been applying all along, you have up to like 19 preference points. Don't use the word preference, strike that. Oh, that's wrong. It's a bonus point. Right. Bonus you points. have like 19 accumulated bonus points. Those bonus points only apply to the general season. When, when the game commission created the archery season and the late season, they also created separate pools of, pre- of bonus points. So the beauty of it is you can keep all your accumulated, um, um, long-term points in the general season for bull only, but you could apply either sex for archery and late season. So you're still. So, it, it, are you following what I mean there? So, I think so, I am. So, like, yeah. I
1: could do like a just bull in the archery season, but I could do an either or for the general and the late.
2: Yeah, or vi- any or any combination of that. Okay. So, so somebody okay. that's been in for the long haul, like you said, man, I don't want to burn up 19 points on a cow tag. Don't go ahead. Apply bull only. But apply for either sex for the late season or apply either sex or, or you know, either sex for the archery, you know, or, or bull only archery, bull only general and late season either sex. You know, there, there, there's still an opportunity to, to hunt cows and harvest cows and not strike out your huge, um, pool of accumulated points, you know, um, from, from the general season. So that that was something that was pretty confusing for folks when when 3 years ago when when the when the uh multiple seasons were established a lot of people thought there, there was guys on both ends of the spectrum there was guys that were mad because they wanted their accumulated general season points to also apply to archery right but that's not how that's not how the regulation was was written um you know for the game commission so essentially 3 years ago when there was an archery in late season everybody applied for that was on the even playing field. everybody had zero it was the first time in for everybody <clears throat> and now conversely this coming season you could have up to three points plus this year's application for for the for the um, the, the archery and the, the late season and and then you have your middle your general hunt which however many you've accumulated over years anywhere, you know, I think Max this year will be 20, 20 points. i be believe plus the app plus that this current year's application. Right, right. So, so it, it really, I mean, really, when you get down to the the, the mathematical part of it, it's it, it's really a good opportunity for Pennsylvania sportsmen. Well, and I mean, it is open to non residents as well. But um, you know, there's there's there there there's a there's a lot of there's a lot of different ways and combinations that you can apply to maximize your expectations, you know, uh, of, of drawing a tag and what tag, where, and when.
1: I think it's a really under under uh, underappreciated thing by some of our residents. I'm amazed how many people don't realize the resource and, like, the, the experience they could have and don't even apply for this tag.
2: Oh, yeah, yeah. I mean, so that's twofold. So there's a lot of people that elk. We have elk in Pennsylvania? I had no idea, you know. And then there's, the, and then, then, and their hunters are like, holy cat, crap, I'm going to be into this. Then there's the other people that, like, oh, well, they see the, they see the Benazet Town elk and they see the elk all over Facebook and Instagram and all the other stuff. And, oh, look at these stupid things standing alongside the road. Well, I don't want to hunt something like that. Well, you know, that, then there's those folks who just immediately dismiss that type of elk for every elk that exists out in the elk range, which is far from the truth. You know, I mean, there's there, – like I said earlier, there's certain areas where, man, they're on you. It's it's like – it's not like hunting elk out west where you bump them and they're going to run for four miles. But they're going to be a lot like whitetail where they're going to be alert, they're going to be on you, they're not going to be tolerant, and they're going to run. Now, they're not – you're not going to blow them out of the county, but they're going to be run and not be visible, and you're going to have to find them again.
1: Right. You know? Now, when you guys so, – so Oh, go ahead. I'm sorry.
2: So, well, no, just because that's, that's kind of like the – that's kind of like the two mentalities of why people don't apply you know it's like oh my god I never even knew this opportunity existed or it's like ah I don't want to I don't want to go up those things stand around the road
1: and let people walk up
2: to them you know right. that kind of attitude
1: yeah there's uh, I've heard all those same things and some people just think it's mm-hmm. not even worth trying just because they're they're trying to draw one thought I had um, when you guys kill an elk do you are you yep. able to do you pack them out a lot of the time or, or do you guys have a crew that you you drag them or like how does that usually work because you know i'm used to packing everything out if it's back in pretty good even in pa yeah yeah so so um no we generally so out of those 298
2: elk i believe it was i mentioned that we've harvested we've only ever butchered one in the field.
1: oh wow wow
2: and yeah, yeah. So, so it's a combination of, I guess, being strong and stupid. You, know? I mean, <laughs> you get a bunch of guys together, like, we're getting this thing out. We're going to do whatever we got to do, you know. Um, so, so so, there's a couple of different methods. A couple of the guys have um, have developed and fabricated um, heavy-duty elk carts. I mean, just think of it, just a deer cart, but on steroids. Um, you know, you can get an elk in one of those carts and maneuver – through the woods, and you get yourself to an old logging road or some type of gravel access road. It's pretty smooth sailing, actually. Once you get the animal on a cart, um, you can actually drag. A couple of the guys have like heavy duty drags that they've made up, like a real heavy plastic. Um, we've used them before, and with all of this, with enough manpower, you know, what I mean, sure. Any, Um, six, eight, ten guys, you know, going going for an extraction, you know, we can get an animal out. Um sometimes you're very fortunate. You're on private property. Sometimes, uh, um, you know, landowners let you go right to them, whether it's uh, a four-wheeler right to them or a truck, you know, right to them or very close to them. Um, another method, actually, that, that we use and is, is is becoming more and more popular is there's a local fellow that lives up here by me that um, he's a horse logger by trade. So he does low-impact logging where he doesn't use skitters and big machines and bulldozers. He uses uh, big uh, um, draft horses. Okay. And during the elk season, um, this fella actually takes a break from the woods and he goes on call for elk hunters to go drag elk out of the woods. So it's, it's pretty neat to see this big, uh, I don't know, He has this one horse named Friday, a big black percher on. He's like 18 and a half hands. He's just a monstrous, monstrous horse, like 1200 pounds, just, it uh, might even be bigger than that. And this horse, I mean, that horse comes in under full control. He, he has him by the reins. He's making his commands. He backs the horse in, you know, we get the the elk uh, folded up into his little, he has what's called a scoop. You know, it's a special little elk drag he's made. And boy, once you get that thing in and lashed and tied down, he gives a little flip of the reins and makes his command and Friday just walks that elk right out. Don't matter if you're a couple hundred yards or a couple miles. I mean, it's, it's pretty awesome to see that big horse come into the woods and, you know, and get an elk out like that. Yeah, especially um, with
1: an animal that size that you're used to using manpower. I mean, I, I know what it takes to get bear out of Pennsylvania yep. woods, and we we kill ourselves uh, for some of them, and I can't imagine, you know, multiplying that by an elk.
2: Oh, yeah. The guys are always happy to see the horse show up because, I mean, <laughs> yeah. there's not, not as much grunting and, and pulling and sweating. Um, yeah. And it, so that leads to another thing a little bit. So – that's something that's pretty getting an elk out whole. Is something that's pretty unique to Pennsylvania. Um, like you said, you know, most states out west, and they're, they're you know you're quartering them in the field, butchering them in the field. Um, a lot of people think that there's a requirement in Pennsylvania for elk to come out whole because so many of them do. That's how a lot of harvest pictures are seen. You know, people with animals in the back of the truck and the checks and their mm-hmm. whole you know whole-bodied animals. There, there actually is no requirement by the Game Commission to bring an animal out whole. It's just kind of become one of those things that's kind of like almost a bit of a challenge. All right, let's do this. How are we going to get this thing out of here? Let's figure this out and make it happen. <laughs> Somebody said we were so smart least, kind of right? Yeah, 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 right? If you're going to if you're going to be dumb, you better be strong, right? That's the thing. <laughs> uh, <clears throat> oh, it's good times. It's it's always it's always um it's always interesting to, you know, to get to to that point, you know, when the animals down. Sure, And, um, to see, th- th- this is one of the things that does it the most for me is to, yeah, we've accomplished our goal. I, I, you know, uh, we've fulfilled our business aspect of it, but to see the emotions, to see the emotional range of a, of a person, you know, um, who has more than likely just fulfilled a dream, you know, it's a heart, even if it's a cow to, to see that range of emotion, um, it's, it tugs on the heartstrings. I mean, it really does. Even now, just thinking about it, I get a little misty. Um, it's just, just to, and, and then to know that we were able to help somebody achieve that. We, you know, um, you know, um, Elk County Outfitters was there to be able to help somebody reach that milestone, that pinnacle, you know, fill that tag that they never thought they would even draw. And now to be sitting here, you know, over a down trophy, it's, um, it's pretty humbling. I mean, it, it really is. It, it, at that point, I always takes I always have some reflection. Like, man, you know, this is this is special because this is something that means a lot to somebody. I mean, it really does. And to be able sure. to play a small part of that, and play, you know, to have a small sliver in that,
1: it's um, it's pretty special. Gotcha. It, without a doubt it is. You know, Brian, I want to be mindful of your time here, but is there anything else that I didn't ask you, or is there anything that wouldn't come to our minds that you'd like to share with listeners about Elk County Outfitters and Pennsylvania elk hunting and such?
2: Um,
1: no, you know, I, th- I think, I think we've been pretty good. We've covered a lot of stuff.
2: Um, you know, as far as us specifically, I mean, uh, just, uh, to throw a shameless plug in there, you know, I mean, we have Elk County no, Outfitters. Com. Um, yeah, elkcountyoutfitters.com, yeah, com. it's our website, um, uh, a lot of, um, actually, all of our harvest pictures are on there from all the way back in 2002, the first year the Jack started, um, kind of, uh, up, there's an um, about tab, contact, you know, all kinds of stuff, kind of the basic, you know, um, website build, um, we also, um, so and elk county outfitters at gmail.com, you know, if anybody wants to email us, get us in touch with us that way. Um, or, you know, my phone number is uh, listed there on the website. And also, you know, we have Facebook and Instagram, same thing, just elk county outfitters. My number associated with all that stuff. Anybody, you know, ever wants to reach out and, uh, you know, um, has any questions, any specifics or anything like that. Um. You know, we. I, I always love to talk about alchemy here. We just burned an hour and thirty minutes, and I felt like I could go another hour and a half. You know, I just this is it's like right up my alley. My wife just kind of usually just shakes her head and and just walks away from me. But well, so she, does mine. If it makes supporter. you feel any better, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> she she's always there for me. I know she's busting my chops, but she she's a big supporter of of me and you know and everything we do here. And you know that that's that's a big thing too. Um something that a lot that that a lot of clients and don't see and people don't think about is you know the, the background stuff you know our family members so people that um that sacrifice time with us and our guy you know our other guides and, and the other helpers while while we're you know out doing these these things we love um nobody nobody in the pa elk range no nobody makes a living as an elk guide Everybody has full-time regular jobs or they're self-employed or maybe retired, what have you. So nobody is making a full-time job like, all right, today I'm going out elk scouting because that's my job. We just do it because we fit it into any amount of free time that we can. Um, we do it all. that We do it with our family, you know, families, take our families out with us. Um, you know, there's, we, we burn up vacation time from work instead of going to the beach you know, with the families or, or what have you or going out to movies, you know, a lot of the guys make a lot of sacrifices, um, behind the scenes. And, and really that, that I feel is a big part of what has played into our overall success as a group is how passionate and serious, um, you know, all our guides are, you know, when it comes to this, because like I said, over almost half of them have had a tag. They know. Mm -hmm. They, they, they don't, you know, they don't want to um, give anybody anything less than what they experienced and what they would expect to experience, you know? So, so it's, you know, a big shout out to my wife, Deanna and my, my two sons, Hunter and Fisher. And, um, you know, they just, they, they make a lot of sacrifices, time spent away and then sacrifices them tagging along with me, Um, you know, and, you know, they've, They've all come around to where they're they're pretty reliable to go out and do their own thing, also scouting wise. Right. Um, and of course, you know everything's a little bit easier when you can divide and conquer. So you know, when you can spread out with four, three or four people, you can cover a lot more ground than everybody just being together. So you know it's um it's it's a huge thing with the family, um, you know to to be able to operate. This is how, this is my opinion, Lisa. This is how I feel. Like I said, to, to operate at the level we do and to do it consistently. You know, uh, every, anybody out there can have a big year once or maybe even twice, but string them back to back for 13 years and then we'll talk, you know? Um, that's, that, that, that's, that's a big thing that I feel is a part of our success is just the commitment and the passion, you know, for, from all the guys.
1: Without a <clears> doubt. And that's, that's really, that's really something special. And I mean, that's all part of hunting. That's all that that's part of it too. Um, and, uh, I I really thank you for, for taking all this time and sharing your knowledge, sharing your experiences, telling us information that nobody it's, it's just not readily available information for anybody listening to this to, to get and just you know, plan their elk hunt in Pennsylvania. It's, it's uh this is some next level stuff. And, and I really appreciate all of your knowledge and experience. And, and thank you for that. Yeah, no, no problem. I mean, it's we, we, I think we had mentioned this before in one
2: of our previous conversations, you know, this is the tag that nobody ever expects to draw. So how in the world can I be prepared for it? You know, and um, hopefully some of the things we just talked about, you know, helps you try to prepare a little bit. Um, do some scrolling back, check us out on Facebook and on our Instagram. We have a lot of posts over the, through the years. I try to keep the page pretty active, um, elk content, um, regional content, that sort of thing. Um, you know, we get super busy come application time. Um, I try to put up lots of statistics and information that I feel is helpful for people that are trying, you know, that are trying to navigate through this application process. Um, like I said, my phone numbers there, our emails there. I'm always willing to talk and chat with folks, um, and just try to try to help out and, and um, you know walk people through the process because it's one of those things nobody ever plans for. And then when you get that phone call, your world your world is likely will never be the same.
1: <laughs> yeah, probably uh, it's gonna it's gonna put a halt to all of my fall hunting plans I had originally planned for for sure. I, uh, yep. I, I hope I get a, I hope I get an opportunity one day to draw and, and come hunt with you guys.
2: Well, Hey, we,
1: uh, we would love to have you have both you guys. Um, you
2: know, best of luck. That's, uh, you, you got to get your name in the pot. I always say this to people that, um, complain about the odds and all this and that. It's like, well, Hey, look, the only way to guarantee you're never going to draw is to not apply. So you, you, you got to apply. And it's, it's, it's cheap relative, you know. I mean, it's not expensive to apply. Certainly, certainly. Uh, uh, go for it, you know. I mean, you never know until you apply. I surely never thought I would draw a tag when I did in 2015, but I was,
1: I was, I was lucky that day. For sure, for sure. Well, hey, I appreciate you taking the time, and uh, hopefully, we can catch you again. Maybe, uh, maybe some more success stories or something like that.
2: Yeah, definitely, definitely, no problem. I'll tell you what, just maybe a little tidbit for something coming up here. Um, two years ago, 2020, we, we harvested a monstrous bull, um, that is actually at Boone and Crockett right now to be panel scored. Um, this, is, this will be our new state record, and it's potentially the fourth largest hunter elk killed in the world. Wow. So Boone, Boone, and Crockett has convened a panel score, panel scorers for what they're calling their 31st annual big game scoring, uh, event. So they have animals from all over the world. Um, it's, 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 uh, it's an event that's held, I believe, every three years. Um, and, uh, our, our bull is over there right now to be panel scored. We're anxiously waiting to see how that comes back. Um, so there's a chance it could be different. From what, uh, you know, from what our original Boone and Crockett scorers came up with. But, um, uh, per, per regular, you know, per Burning Crockett rules, any, any animal that is a state record or top 10 is required to be panel scored to be officially entered into the book. So, Mm. so this guy, this guy fit both of those. He checked both of those boxes. Um, so that's kind of where we're at now. We're all anxiously waiting for that. That's going to be pretty big news whenever that comes down official um, from from the panel. So That's we're kind of awesome. all chomping at the bit, hoping to hear hoping to hear any day now. It was uh, it was last week that the panel was convened, so we're hoping to hear back shortly. And um,
1: maybe I'll try to follow up with you guys and see if you'd have any interest uh, any interest in that. Absolutely, please do. And I'm sure we'll 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 be watching the Facebook and the Instagram trying to trying to see if something like that uh, posts out from you guys.
2: Yeah, yeah, for sure. Bear with me on the social media. I will have to have my boys help me a lot with that stuff, but they're they're teaching me, huh? I'm getting there. I learned how to make reels the other day, which was pretty exciting. <laughs> they they were laughing at me, but uh, yeah, we got a. I got a lot of ideas, a lot of content. I think I want to put out. It's just a matter of getting in the right format, you know,
1: and uh, uh, getting it out there to share with everybody. We'll keep grinding, and hopefully, hopefully, we can stay in touch. Yes, sir. All right. Thanks, Brian. Yep, thanks, Thanks Brian. Thanks for
2: having me. Thanks for having me, guys. You guys have a good evening.